Welcome to Tea, Toast, and Theology. A day like this, it's hard to preach because there are some really wonderful passages, right? You have uh, the one that you often hear, especially at the 10 o'clock service, because I use the whole thing. I just don't say, the peace of God be with you. No, I go into the background, uh, the context of why the peace of God will be with you and what are the prerequisites for that peace of God. And so, that's one one uh, area. We'll come back to that. Uh, but today there are some two, two very interesting uh, ones. One from the Gospel of Matthew, which is, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's that passage which I think a lot of us, including myself, uh, most of the times just gloss over. Because uh, if it is a parable, and it is, because we are told it is a parable, right? Which means that the characters in this story are supposed to relate to uh, us some other story. That's what a parable is, right? <laughs> right? This, that, the, the characters and the story is actually something else that is being told with different characters in a different setting, right? So people are supposed to connect the dots themselves, right? And and that is the fun of parables, that nobody, it's like my preaching, it makes no sense, right? Uh, till, <laughs> right? <laughs> till, till you actually are able to connect the dots, right? And if you connect the dots, then you, you may have this aha moment, oh, what's going on? Okay, so... So that's what parables are like, right? And so <clears throat> Jesus loved to talk in parables. And he would tell these stories for people to connect the dots themselves. By the way, I believe that's Christian faith. You know why? Because I don't believe Christian faith is about telling people what to do like this. I don't believe. It's, Jesus never did that, right? Christian faith is about people figuring it out and making a decision on their own, a personal choice to do the right thing. Because if it is enforced, guess what? It's not us really doing it, right? You're doing it out of fear or obligation or whatever, but it's not really our conscience choice. So Jesus never forced anything, and, and neither should we. So we have to learn to really engage with it. That's where the word comes from, right? You have to engage with it and connect the dots yourself. So that's why he's talking about it. And so if that's true, then who is the king in this story? What do you think? Who's the king in this story? And it's a series of parables. We're told that, right? So the same guy who was the king, who, who uh, the king represented, is is in this story too, right? Uh, it's God, right? And God is enraged because God is calling people, but they're not showing up, right? They are doing one thing or another. They're just too busy. They're just too busy for church. <laughs> they're too busy for being 
together as a community. They, they, they don't even want to be part of what Paul says, rejoice, something joyful. They, they don't even have time for that. Right? Because wedding is a joyful event. Right? There's, there's lots of food, there's singing, there's dancing. So they, he's not inviting them to a boring lecture. Right? He's inviting them to a wedding banquet. And they don't, they say like, ah, no, I have things to do. Right? They don't even wish to be part of the joy. And not only do they not wish to be part of the joy, in fact, they mistreat the people who are the bearers of that invitation. And this is the part that I have often glossed over as to what the king actually does. <laughs> right? That is the part that I have often like completely lost. What did the king do? He actually treats them really harshly. Right? And that's how the last words that we heard from this gospel make a lot of sense. That he says, throw them into where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's harsh. That's eternal. Right? And here's the fun part. This is from the New Testament. People always say all these things happen in the Old Testament, which is where there's this angry God, right? This is the New Testament. This is Jesus, the teddy bear talking. <laughs> right? And I love this because in contrast, we have the Old Testament passage where the God changes his mind and doesn't do exactly what Jesus is saying the king does. Right? So what happens to this idea of ours that somehow Old Testament so so full of this wrathful God and it's the same God. The concept is the same. And that is why I often take the approach of connecting the dots between the old and the new. Because the church has done an awful job of presenting to us this idea that somehow the New Testament presents a better God to us than the Old Testament. Which is so not true. It is the same God. Right? <clears throat> and the same God was full of mercy. So, now let's go to that Old Testament. There's one always missed in that story. And that's the dialogue that happens about who is responsible. If you look at that story, it's very interesting. Again, it's that reader response theory, how we are shaped to listen to this story, right? It's very interesting how Moses is delayed up there. Right? And then uh, Aaron is here, and we'll talk a little about what happens there. But uh, what are the people doing? They build this, these, you know, molten images of, and then they say, well, these are the gods that brought us out. 
Okay. And it's the people who are saying it. Aaron doesn't say it. It's the people. Aaron actually facilitates all that. But it's the people who are saying that. Now, now this is very interesting. So these are the gods who brought us out. When God is talking to Moses, God says, hey, these people that you brought out of the land, right? And when Moses talks to God, Moses says, the people you brought out of the land. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Like, who brought you guys out? <laughs> right? Was it Moses or was it all these molten images or was it God? I believe the way it's laid out, that is the intention, one of the intentions of that, of the how that text flows. Because it is in the end that Moses says, the one you brought out. It is intentional that that thing that at least I always missed, and I think most people miss that story, that, that shifting of a responsibility, who actually brought you guys out, right? It is quite intentional as to what is happening there. Now, let's go back a week. Remember how we talked about Ten Commandments? And we think of it as Ten Covenants, or the whole idea of a covenant. Uh, in that, how many were about God? Three, right. Three were about God. The seven the remaining were about how we form a community. And the very first one was, I am the Lord your God, and you shall have no other God before me. Right? And so when, when Moses presents that to them, their first thing is, hey, we don't want this God dude. <laughs> right? You deal with us. Right? Remember that from last week? Now, this week, they, uh, Moses is delayed and they actually act upon ejecting God from the equation. And here's the thing. When we eject God from the equation, who is God? God is truth. God is righteousness. God is good, God is just, right? God is love. When we eject God from the equation, we eject all those things that help us make a good human community. We eject out from us truth. We eject out from us justice. We eject out from us joy and hope and all those things. You know, sometimes we call them the fruits of the Spirit, okay? But whichever way you want to think of all these good things, right? We eject all of them. And when we lay a foundation for our relationship in which all those things are not there, then what have we actually ejected from that? We have ejected the vision and purpose of our creation by our loving God. That's what we have said no to. We have said no to the purpose and vision 
that have, that our God has for us. Right? You see, you see why it's so important to get rid of God. Right? And you know how we do it? You know how we get rid of God? Just like they did. We all get together and we say, we will use democracy. Whatever the people say will be it. That is how we eject God. Whatever the people say, when we get together and whatever the people say is right, is going to be right. If the people say that it was these molten images that brought us out of Egypt, then that's what it is. Because people is, are saying that. That is the truth. Anyone who has read the story so far, would they say it was the truth? You see, getting rid of God is getting rid of truth. And getting rid of truth is getting rid of God. <laughs> That's how it's done. The majority of the people are saying this, therefore it is true. Now, it sends our whole concept. And this is why we don't necessarily like the Old Testament. We shouldn't like the New either because of that. But it sends the whole concept of like what are we as a church then? Let me tell you, as a priest, one of the things I'm supposed to be doing is to be to, to be a participant in the councils of the church. Right? And all along, the church has made decisions as councils. These creeds that you have, the canons that you, I mean, the, the number of books you have in your Bible, everything that you practice today has been through councils. We come together and we make decisions. That does put a very big question mark, right? How do we know when our councils are actually not ejecting God? The church has struggled with that question for a very, very long time. If you were a Roman Catholic theologian, you would go into this long, long explanation about how we know that God is in it. And you know how the church decided that God, we can find out how God is in it? It's a very interesting 
It's a very interesting way. It doesn't work, I think, but it's a very interesting way. It is what I call the Gamaliel principle. You all know who Gamaliel was, right? He was one of the teachers of Paul, right? And uh, when all these disciples were having a problem and they were being called by the authorities in Jerusalem and uh, the, the all the big dudes there are saying, okay, we should punish these people. It is Gamaliel who stood up and said, look, if these people, what they are doing is of God, then you don't want to get odds with, get in odds with God. But if they are not of God, let them do whatever they are doing. And if it was not of God, it will just not work. You don't have to lift a finger. Right? And the church took that idea and said, well, let's sit on everything for a long time. Because if it is supposed to be, it will stand the test of time. And if it is not supposed to be, it won't stand the test of time. Now, here's the problem. Just, just because, just if you thought that we resolved that issue, here's the problem. What if Paul is right? And evil is ingrained into our flesh. Right? And whatever we do, over a period of time even, it even gets worse. Time then cannot tell us whether it was right with God or not. So then, let me bring you back to the gospel. Why did the king have a problem with people who were not dressed properly? Because that does seem harsh, right? Here's a king who invited everybody and they didn't come. And then he said, okay, cancel all those invitations. Let's send out new invitations to another different group of people. And, and they showed up. And when they showed up, king shows up at this wedding and says, oh, my friend, why are you not dressed up? Okay, out. So what is happening there? My friends, here's what I believe. The purpose of God, the vision of God, is very clearly stated throughout this thing that we call the Bible. We read story after story in which all of that gets, you know, worked out in how people lived it, right? So we see that vision of God. We see what the purpose is. The people who were rebelling against Moses knew exactly what the vision was. Because 
you need to know what you are rebelling against. And they knew what they were rebelling against. They knew what the vision was. Right? So, God has given us the knowledge of what the requirement is to be a part of the wedding. When we show up there as if we don't care, <laughs> right? That is a problem too. And that is why, my friends, if you look at the first verse of what we read from Philippians, Paul is saying to these people, stand firm, stand firm. Stand firm in that faith, stand firm in that vision. So I say to you too, stand firm in the vision of God. Stand firm in truth. Stand firm in justice. Stand firm in joy. Stand firm in God's love. Stand firm in God's vision for God's kingdom. We are all called, but let's all live into our calling to be chosen. 